Good afternoon, Metro Augusta. This is Janice Allen Jackson welcoming you to the June 16th edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. As always, today's show is brought to you by the two most fabulous sponsors in the world. Uh, one of those is the Security Federal Bank, featuring 17 locations between Columbia, South Carolina and Columbia County, Georgia, and they exist to serve you. If you have needs related to uh, car loans, investments, uh, college savings accounts, getting your credit score up to par, or just needing to build a business relationship with a banker, uh, please see my friends at Security Federal. And the other sponsor that brings you Local Matters is Janice Allen Jackson and Associates. My firm provides uh, program management and various other services to local governments and nonprofit organizations. You can learn more about the work that we do at my website, which is JaniceAllenJackson.Weebly.com. Also there, there is a Local Matters tab, and at that Local Matters tab, you can find every single episode that I have done since March of last year. So if there is a need to hear something again, if there's a need to check out something you missed, if you want to share an episode with or a friend, coworker, relative, etc., that opportunity is there because the technology allows for those episodes to be shared. Uh, speaking of my older episodes, last week, if you tuned into the show, you will hear, you heard that I was on a little bit of a vacation from Local Matters. I had done uh, brand new shows every week for over a year, and uh, last week needed to take a little bit of a break. So I did an encore presentation of uh, a show featuring Lynn Bailey. Uh, she talked about the changes in the Georgia voting laws in an attempt to sort of set the set record straight about what changed and uh, what didn't change um, with everything that was discussed in the legislature. Uh, you know that many times they'll start off with uh, several ideas, a bunch of things will be thrown out, thrown out but uh, at the end of the day, they have to make some final decisions. So she talked about what those final decisions were as they were signed into law by Governor Kemp. And to tie things together with that, I uh, opened up my web browser yesterday and saw that Ms. Bailey has announced that she is uh, retiring from that role. Um, she has been our Director of Voter Registration and Elections for Richmond County for approximately 28 years. Uh, it feels like it's time to go spend some time with the grandkids. So we just want to uh, congratulate her on her outstanding service to our community and wish her the very best as she moves forward. Um, of course, now it is upon the Board of Elections uh, that I believe is a five-person board um, that is appointed by both the uh, Democratic and Republican parties in uh, our in Richmond County. Uh, it'll be upon that board to conduct a search and identify a new director for uh, that very critical position particularly as there are so many changes and as uh, voting uh, receives so much scrutiny in the wake of everything that's happened over the last uh, year or so, in particular with the presidential election, um, that board I'm sure will be working very hard to make sure that they select someone who really can carry 
out that function with a spirit of excellence. Uh, so we also uh, wish them the best. And I also encourage you as residents of our community to follow that search process. Um, uh, there is nothing like um, knowing what is happening and how it's happening and when it's happening and who's doing it. Uh, so I encourage you to stay involved uh, with that process uh, so that you know exactly what is happening uh, because who is the person in that role definitely uh, will affect uh, your uh, life and how they carry out that, that role if you intend to continue to be a registered voter in our county. I also uh, want to uh, point out a, a few other things that are directly tied to some uh, shows that I've done over the last couple of months. Uh, one of those also related to the Augusta Jewish History Museum. Uh, we had Mr. Weinstein, who is a... Um, a local resident, local community leader uh, who took it upon himself to work with a team of folks to create a monument to Jewish history and culture here in the Augusta River region. Uh, if you also picked up the news uh, within the last few days, you see that uh, they are about to open the first portion of that museum. Uh, they received what is called a certificate of occupancy. If you are not familiar with that, uh, that just says that the building is ready to be occupied. Uh, the uh, folks in the Planning and Development Services Department in the city of Augusta and any other city or county in the state of Georgia or throughout the country, actually, there's always somebody who is responsible for making sure that buildings are safe for people to occupy uh, and you get a certificate and you're not allowed to go into the building until that process is completed. All the inspections have been done. Everything has been checked and they determine that a building is ready to occupy. Well, the Jewish History Museum has their certificate of occupancy for, I believe, just the court of ordinary portion, which is one portion of the building. They're still raising funds for the other portion, uh, but they will be on tap to open up next month. Uh, so if you're looking for something fun and interesting and educational to do, the Jewish History Museum would be a good visit for you to take. And as uh, was indicated during his visit on the show, uh, there will be no entry fees to go to the museum. So it's going to be a high quality free attraction in our community and an opportunity to learn uh, something uh, about uh, how the Jewish population has grown in the Augusta area and some of the uh, accomplishments. So I think that's a fabulous cultural amenity that's being added to our area. Also, in follow-up to some of our previous shows, um, you, all, you all may recall that uh, over the last few weeks, I had uh, two guests sort of on polar opposite ends, not in a fighting type of way, but uh, demonstrating uh, the differences in what's happening with our population. Uh, and when I say that, I speak directly to uh, one show I did with uh, Commissioner Dennis Williams. Uh, he was talking about the city's efforts to combat homelessness and how the homelessness problem has grown here in our community. Uh, the following week, I followed up with 
a show with uh, Joe Edge, who's president of Sherman and Hem Street. And he talked about the luxury housing development in downtown Augusta and what we see now that appears to be a boom in, in housing. And that comparison still sort of blows my mind uh, from the standpoint that <clears throat> on one end, we have people who can afford um, $1,200, $1,500, $1,500 a month for relatively small apartments. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have individuals that cannot afford to put a roof over their heads at all. So um, this dichotomy has played itself out uh, throughout the country, uh, happened in many of the larger cities before it got to us, but it is now Augusta's turn to, to grapple with that problem. And um, I noticed that recently, in addition to the city's uh, efforts to discuss homelessness and address homelessness by providing services to that population, um, they also have been discussing panhandling. Uh, that is one of the things that came up in our conversation uh, with uh, Commissioner Williams, uh, the, their most recent discussions with the commission, just, you know, what do you do? Do we need to have an ordinance to regulate it? Do we need to enforce that ordinance more uh, strictly? Uh, does the ordinance need to expand beyond downtown, uh, et cetera, et cetera? And I always struggle when I hear conversations about uh, ordinances like that. It's like you're almost discouraging giving uh, when you do that. And, you know, certainly I have talked to representatives of, uh, nonprofit organizations that provide services to the homeless population. And many times they will advise you not to give money directly to panhandlers on the street or people who claim to be homeless, but they will instead suggest that you give the money directly to the homeless organizations. And when I hear that, you know, it sounds good, but I always kind of wonder, gee, is, is the recommendation coming from those nonprofits, just a little bit self-serving because uh, we know they need to have a budget too. They have to have some funds in order to provide services, in order to pay their staff, in order to operate effectively. We know they have to have resources, but uh, is that geared, uh, those recommendations, are they geared toward uh, what's in the best interest of the homeless or are they geared toward what's in the best interest of the organization? So that's just a little food for thought there, uh, not making any um, allegations or negative uh, comments about any particular organization, but just generally that is how it's been approached. Uh, meanwhile, you will see panhandlers. I think you will always see panhandlers. Uh, there are some of the larger cities who confronted this problem earlier on and you know, some of them have taken extreme measures to ensure that there are not panhandlers on the street. I mean, even to the extent of coming, running a shuttle and taking the folks out of downtown uh, for certain hours, you know, taking them out to more rural areas and that sort of thing. Um, I know it can appear uncomfortable, particularly for those of us who are not used to living in more urban environments. Um, you may feel threatened, a little afraid when you see uh, someone who appears to be homeless. Um, that may be a little scary to you. And I know we certainly don't want to scare anybody off. Um, but by the same token, we don't want to uh, eliminate the opportunity for charity. So it's just a fine line when you engage in those types of discussions. It will be interesting to see uh, where uh, this all lands in Augusta and what mechanisms are going to be used for enforcement. Uh, because one of the other issues to consider is that 
in terms of our resources of the sheriff's office, uh, sometimes they've got higher and bigger priorities uh, than just, you know, somebody's asking for a couple dollars outside of McDonald's. So um, it will be interesting to see uh, how effectively uh, that can be enforced and, and what will be placed on the books. So uh, please stay tuned for that conversation. Uh, also, as you think through that conversation, as you know, Local Matters is about news and politics, uh, but I don't consider this so much a news program as I do a program that uh, helps you process information, think through the why, uh, hold our officials accountable, et cetera. That's, that's the purpose of, of the show. Um, so as we think through the homeless program, I started doing a little research myself. It's like, you know, how did we get into this circumstance where we have so many people who are without homes? And there are a few things as I did my research, some of the other things I've talked about in earlier shows when we were talking about public safety last year, uh, when you know, countries in a crisis mode in regard to public safety and how we fund public safety and how we deal with the interaction between um, police work, traditional police work and all the other things that are out there such as mental illness, uh, lack of affordable housing, uh, all those, those things that come together to create public safety issues for us. Uh, one of those was the deinstitutionalization of mental health patients. Uh, we talked about how many times when those folks came out of mental institutions because it was declared <clears throat> inhumane to keep them in, in hospitals. They came out of the hospitals. They were released in what's considered the, to be the least restrictive environment. But that environment's not set up really for them to succeed. And they didn't have the support services necessary to make that possible. So you wind up with large numbers of homeless people. Sometimes those homeless people went straight from mental institutions into jail uh, because our society didn't have anything else that was better suited for them. And sometimes they just, they're living under a bridge. Uh, recently, I was in downtown Atlanta, and I just saw just camps of folks under tents, under a bridge. Uh, meanwhile, they're in the shadows of these huge high rises and um, expensive properties. We talked about rents in Augusta from a thousand to fifteen hundred. You know, rents in Metro Atlanta can be three or four thousand dollars a month. So, homeless people, uh, huge contrast, are, are right there in the shadows and on the streets, uh, where somebody's going to go to their thirtieth floor apartment and pay three thousand dollars a month for it. So, just just some huge things that cause deep concern. One of the reasons is the uh, so many mental health, mentally ill people uh, being out without adequate services. One of the other reasons for homelessness issues throughout the country is divestment in public housing. Uh, if you think about it, you'll realize that uh, our public housing authorities are not building any new units anymore. Uh, somewhere in the 70s, 80s, um, 90s, the thinking came to be that it was a bad idea to house large numbers of poor people uh, all together in public housing. Uh, so instead of constructing new public housing, which of course is also expensive to build and maintain, um, decisions were made that it would be best to create programs like Section 8 where private uh, homeowners, private property owners would lease their properties to Section 8 tenants. 
but uh, that has not kept pace uh, with the number of lower income people who need some form of subsidized housing. Uh, in addition, we've, we've also had a dismantling of the welfare state, uh, including reduced public assistance for families, work requirements, even to get food stamps. Uh, and all of these things have uh, squeezed many households to the point where you see people who are either doubling up with other families, living in their cars, uh, living in motels because of credit issues, criminal history issues, uh, things like that. Also, our economy has changed where we don't have as many individuals who are uh, living, uh, working in uh, the uh, higher paid manufacturing uh, type jobs. They are now in the service industry and we know those service jobs don't pay a whole lot. So it just feels like the rich is getting richer and the poor is getting poor and it's creating something that has become a powder keg that not just Augusta, not just Georgia, but our entire country is going to have to grapple with and find some solutions. Um, in addition, uh, one of the other things I forgot to mention was uh, urban renewal. Um, we were very uh, concerned about uh, slums and the appearance of uh, people living in housing that didn't appear to be suitable for human habitation. But as those houses have been demolished um, because they weren't invested in and weren't maintained, uh, they all got demolished. And those people haven't found suitable alternatives. Um, so while the community may look better without having all of those uh, shotgun houses, uh, in Augusta, you may recall in the Laney Walker Bethlehem neighborhood in particular, they were just rows and rows of shotgun houses. Some of them on alleys, uh, barely any yard space. You couldn't walk between the houses. So it wasn't anything posh, but it kept a roof over the heads of those families. And now that all those units are gone, uh, many of those families are forced to live out of their vehicles. So uh, while you thought it was a good idea to, to demolish uh, all those properties, it is a bad idea uh, from the standpoint that there weren't any suitable, affordable alternatives for families. So we, we're struggling uh, in an ongoing way with that. Uh, one of the other things that I want to follow up with, also related to uh, a former show. Uh, earlier on, I had uh, attorney Ben Allen a few months ago uh, to talk about the issue of creation of a new judicial circuit for the Augusta area. Uh, as many of you are, are probably aware, uh, we had a judicial circuit that consisted of Richmond, Burke, and Columbia counties. Uh, they all functioned together as one circuit uh, for over 150 years. And then uh, in December, Columbia County moved to create a new uh, circuit that is strictly for Columbia County, leaving Richmond and Burke counties uh, in their own uh, circuit, which would be the Augusta circuit and then a Columbia County circuit. Uh, that was swiftly approved by the Georgia legislature and signed into law by the governor. And uh, then uh, there was a lawsuit that comes along from uh, someone here in the Augusta area who believes that uh, such a separation is a violation of the voting rights of voters here in our area. Um, they believe it also has some racial implications um, and they felt like it needed to be challenged, felt strongly enough uh, that they posed a court challenge to the creation of that circuit. 
the new circuit, Columbia County Circuit, was supposed to go into effect on Jan on July one. It looks like that's not going to happen now. A specially appointed judge, um, because our local judges declined to uh, recuse themselves, uh, they declined to hear this case because of their perceived conflict of interest. So another judge was brought in to rule on the case and has ruled that the uh, new, newly created uh, judicial circuit cannot begin on July 1st. So uh, this uh, certainly is a developing story. Um, there is also a, an effort by some to pull that particular judge off the correct case, believing that she also has a conflict of interest. So there are lots of things happening here that will affect us uh, anytime uh, we or our loved ones have to go into the court system. Um, who who the, those judges are uh, often determines who the judges are, who the prosecutors are. All of that uh, can create consequences for us that may or may not be in our best interest. Um, so uh, I'm going to be very eagerly uh, looking at this and staying um, um, abreast of what happens here because this is something that greatly concerns me. Uh, this case also to me illustrates uh, some of the things that we learned in school that we thought maybe weren't that useful. And now we see that information was really useful. Uh, as I read uh, the stories on this, uh, th this occurred to me that this is an illustration of the separation of powers, uh, so to speak. And uh, we always learned about that in government. You've got the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the judicial branches of government. And basically what this means is that the judicial has come in and put a check on the legislative and executive branches because the legislative branch made the decision to create a new circuit. The executive branch being the governor signed off on it. And now the judicial branch, the judges, the courts are saying, hey, hold up, let's take a look at this before we fully implement this change because we are not sure that this change is compliant with the law as we have it in this country. Um, to define the doctrine of separation of powers, it just refers to the division of government responsibilities into distinct branches to limit any one branch from exercising the core functions of another. The intent is to prevent the concentration of power and provide for checks and balances. So basically, it's a check, it's a balance. It's trying to make sure that uh, one or two branches are not uh, bulldozing over your rights. So the courts are there in that way to uh, protect us. Uh, and I encourage all of you uh, to watch this process very carefully to see uh, what we wind up with for our superior court circuits. And again, the, the style of prosecution uh, is something that uh, was proposed a new style of prosecution is something that was proposed by the uh, district attorney, Mr. Jared Williams, that was elected. Uh, he made a very uh, clear uh, statement, a clear message that he wanted to go about that job differently from what uh, he had seen in the past. Uh, and this uh, will really let us know if we're going to see that play out, how and where uh, we see that play out. 
uh, if uh, it proceeds, basically Columbia County uh, will have a, a different prosecutor and who knows what that style of prosecution is. Uh, Richmond and Burke will have a style uh, that may be entirely different if it plays out, but we'll see if, if it actually plays out and we'll be watching that very closely here on Local Matters. Lastly, I want to discuss some of our upcoming shows. Uh, as you can uh, tell, I like to focus on those things that aren't just news for the moment, uh, but are things that affect us over the long haul. Uh, just looking at what we have talked about so far today with uh, voter registration and elections, homelessness, you know, the Bible says the poor will be with us always. So this is a reflection of of uh, how this plays out here uh, in Augusta and in our country. And it's always going to be an issue. Uh, this issue with the judicial circuit has long-term consequences. Um, so I, I like to, as I said, look at issues that are gonna be with us over time. They aren't just something that's current right now. And one of those issues in our community that I'm going to spend a good bit of July focusing on is the expansion of Augusta University. Uh, when uh, I was a youngster, uh, like many of you, uh, we had AC. Augusta College was a little school up on the hill. A good friend of mine used to refer to it as Harvard on the hill. And now it has expanded throughout the city uh, with multiple campuses. Um, they're looking at actually doubling their student population. So I am going to get a representative of uh, the school in general. I'll have representatives, a representative of the dental school as well as the cyber campus uh, to talk about the tremendous growth and expansion, uh, what it means for uh, health services in our area, um, how important it is that we have a dental college and a medical college here, right here in our community. And hopefully that results in better care for the residents in our area. Uh, what it means in terms of uh, property values and redevelopment, um, just it is a major uh, institution in our community. And we're gonna talk about uh, their role in their expansion and uh, what, the, what that is going to mean for all of us. Uh, so look forward to those uh, three shows, a three-part series on Augusta University uh, coming up in July. Uh, as always, uh, if there are other topics that you are interested in, please feel free to reach out to me. Uh, I am on Facebook under Janice Allen Jackson. People send me messages through Facebook Messenger all the time uh, with suggestions. You can also go to my website. Again, that is JaniceAllenJackson.Weebly.com. I have a contact us page there uh, where you can uh, submit any inquiries or uh, requests uh, for programming. Um, we just appreciate so much you being a part of the Local Matters family. Uh, we appreciate all of the support that you have shown and we want Local Matters to respond to your needs. Also, if there is anyone who is interested in a sponsorship of Local Matters, I'd be more than happy to talk to you about that too. So blessings to you uh, for being a part of the Local Matters family. I close with my favorite Bible verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. 
For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. here on WKZK, 1600 AM, 103.7 FM, and WKZK.net, because local matters.